This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sunday if you're watching live via Facebook or Zoom. Um, like Stanley said, this is Be Heard Talk, where we talk race, politics, and culture. We do that all from our very unapologetic perspectives. A lot of times we differ. Sometimes we align. I feel like this is one of the shows where we're going to have a lot of contrast, but we are all for it. And we're here for it. And we're here for all good, hearty debates. So I'm happy to kick it off. Um, if you guys don't already follow me, you can catch me at Miss Selena Hill. M-S is how I spell Miss. So hit me up, Twitter and Instagram. You know, my stories are always popping. Um, and yeah, we have a great show. We have a special guest. And before we get to the topic of the show, well, I'll just let you know, we're going to be talking about why everybody else, like all of my panelists and co-hosts right now, have left the Democratic Party, right? So we're going to talk about that a little later. Super excited about it. Um, and yeah, it happens to be an election year and the most pivotal election of our lives. But still, we're going to talk about why people are ditching the Dems. Um, Tammy, love the look. Tell us who you are and the inspiration for this look today. Hey, y'all. Happy Sunday. Happy to be back, as always. Uh, my name is Tammy David. I'm the newest co-host here at Be Heard Talk, and I've branded myself as your problematic fave. Uh, today, I'm going to be problematic by boiling liberal blood by refusing to vote for Biden in the 2020 presidential election, and I'll tell you all about that later. Um, if for some weird reason after this show you want to get to know me a little better, hear more about my views, you can find me on the gram at Miss David if you nasty. Shout out Janet Jackson. Uh, and don't follow me on Twitter, but that's Comrade Tammy. That is not a safe space. Um, before we get to the main topic, uh, I'm going to toss it to Stanley to introduce himself uh, for. Sorry, I'm going to toss it to Stanley to introduce himself as our engineer, uh, and then we'll finish with intros. Thank you. Thank I forgot you. about Stanley. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you forgot about me. She was trying to erase me, Tammy. That's what it was. <laughs> you know, like I put on a college shirt today, so she's not a fan of me. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineers on the Zoom and Facebook Live ones and twos. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Facebook at Stanley Goodhead Fritz. You can follow me on IG at Stan Fritz. And if you want to get into a war about, I don't know, anything on social media, just go to Facebook because I can start wars for no reason. It's there. Oh, thank you for that, Stanley. So as I mentioned, we have a very special guest. We have Ed Stokes, who is a New York-based media producer. He started his own production company. It's called BK Scholar Productions. Shortly after graduating from Long Island University with a BA in journalism, he has also worked for many media corporations and is currently one of my favorite people at Black Enterprise. He is our digital media producer, um, and he's brilliant. And he's done like a lot of work in Palestine, which I think is really interesting. Ed. So thank you so much for joining us here. Tell us quickly about um, yourself. Uh, Selena, thanks for having me. Um, again, thanks to the guys, the great intro. Again, my name is uh, Ed. I'm right now I'm media producer. Uh, you can also find me in the streets at your uh, favorite protest, you know, over the past few months. Uh, like Selena just briefly uh, mentioned, I've done some work in Palestine back in 2017, a forthcoming documentary called uh, Black in the Holy Land is going to uh, sort of highlight, you know, some things that have been going on there the last 40 years. But uh, again, I'm glad to be here and uh, let's jump into this uh, conversation. 
Sounds good to me. I'll throw it back. I'll throw it over to Tammy. Before we get into the main topic, uh, we like to go over news stories from the week that made you laugh, cry, stress, and wonder why are they coming for the post office? Uh, we're going to get to the news roundup. Um, some of the things we want to talk about today is, of course, the news roundup, protecting Black women, and some highlights from the DNC before we get into party politics. So first, I want to get to a trending story that has me really mad as a Black w woman and should have everyone really mad as a Black woman. It's Miss. Megan the Stallion confirming that she was shot by problematic fave Tory Lanes. Um, if you guys were wondering why Protect Black Women is trending this weekend, it's because once again we have to beg on the internet to be heard, respected, and not shot in the feet. Um, Ms. The Stallion took to Instagram Live on Thursday to blast Tory Lanes, giving us the exact story that we've been waiting for. Um, as y'all know, there was a shooting between Megan The Stallion, Tory Lanes, her friend Hot Girl Kel, and apparently a security guard. Um, we saw video of a helicopter, cops rushing to the scene, and Megan the Stallion backing up from a car with bloody feet. So now we know through Megan the Stallion's testimony the truth that Megan the Stallion got shot as she was exiting the car from an argument with Tory Lanes, and he shot her as she was walking away like a little punk. Um, some of the other things she said on the Instagram Live, it was basically to clear controversy, but also to get people off her back because apparently people have been accusing her of lying, of trying to smear his name, and his fans have been coming really, really hard. Not only that, but she put him and his whole team on blast saying that their publicist and manager are now lying to the blogs that he did not shoot her. Okay. Um, besides clearing the facts, she talked about how we need to protect black women and give black women the same energy to stop calling us aggressive for speaking the facts. And she called it as it is, talk more than women do. So uh, she said, quit playing with me. This is the truth and you better come correct. Um, Stanley, I know that we have been talking a lot about this and I kind of want to get your take as a black man and somebody who's, you know, a big fan of hip hop and the hip hop community. Um, what did you, what was your reaction to Megan The Stallion's live? I was upset, obviously, because that she even had to go on live and do that. Whatever trauma she's going through right now, she shouldn't have to put that to the side to go on the internet and explain to a bunch of people she doesn't know what she's doing or why she's moving a certain way. Tory Lanez is a cornball. And I thought he was a cornball before, but this just about confirms just how much of a cornball he is. And I'll be surprised if he doesn't get beat up before he, gets back, before he makes it back to Canada. As far as his music, I had Chicks Tape. I blocked him on all my streaming services. I deleted, I deleted the album. Like, he gets no support from me. And anybody who supports him, and that I know of that, that is supporting him, they get put into the same category as people who listen to the dude with the red hair. Mm. Speaking of support, Selena, I know you have strong opinions on this. So let's talk about protecting Black women for a second. I know that Megan Thee Stallion did get some support um, from celebrities recently like Halle Berry and Michael B. Jordan on, you know, the Protect Black Women hashtag. But what about before? Why were people clowning her? Why didn't people believe her? And most importantly, why do our men even do this to us? 
Great questions, Tammy. And I do want to just acknowledge that both Rihanna and Janelle Monet were showing support, public support to uh, Megan Thee Stallion back in July when this incident first um, happened. But yeah, it's because this society, we as a whole, we as a people, we do not believe black women. I mean, Malcolm X said it for best. Black women are the most disrespected people on this planet. If you ask me, and this just speaks to why, it's so I tweeted about it. I tweeted that black women literally take bullets for black men, and that if this was a Karen or a Becky, Tory Lanez would have been on death row. Now, I got backlash. People were telling me, like, oh, you're tweeting out fake news. We don't know the full story. And I told this young black person, this young black man that tweeted out to me, I said, you're the exact reason why this stuff like this happens in our community. You were refuse to believe the trauma of this black woman. And it's, it's reflective of, again, our sentiment towards black women, where it's like, we have to prove our trauma. We have to prove that we don't deserve to be domestically abused. Like if those pictures of Rihanna didn't come out in 2009, how many more people, more people would have believed Chris Brown and sided with him? This again, it, it's, I feel like it's almost incumbent upon us as black women to protect black men to our own detriment. And whenever something bad happens to us, unfortunately, we don't see the community showing up for us the way that we show up for them. And it's disappointing. I know in the live, she even talks about the fact people are saying, oh, well, why didn't you say anything? Or why are you just coming out with this now? She says, well, it's four black people in a car with a gun. They would have killed us. And she's right, you know, um, black women, always have to defend men even against their better selves ed do you see this as i mean obviously this is something that happens but how prevalent is it when someone who is famous well to do and you know respected and loved like megan the stallion like how crazy is this situation i mean um based on based on and I, i'm really uh shamelessly i just got caught up based on your pretty uh expert of you know recap of what what has happened but um this is again this is a a long continuum as selena has pointed out of uh of black women not being uh believed um i i listening to based on what you guys are saying the cops are not involved because megan did not want the cops involved and that speaks to a greater culture of uh, mistrust between you know the police and the black community so that's on one level i think the initial backlash that uh that, that was probably uh, attributed to Tory Lanez's uh, fan club coming after him is, is, you know, protecting his future. Oftentimes it's just like we worry about when it comes to male artists, it's like, how are they going to, you know, redeem themselves from this? It's all about a second act for them. You know, it's just like, uh, Stanley, I, I, I was, I got to ask you, I'm not quite sure who you meant when you referred to the gentleman with the, uh, with the red hair, but um, I'm assuming that uh, he, he's another one of these people who, uh, who we're trying to protect, well, not we, but you know, the culture is trying to protect somewhat of his future. Uh, as far as uh, Megan is concerned, it's just like, this is, this is in insanity. Um, it's absolutely insanity. The fact that, again, I don't know their relationship, but the fact that a friend of hers would, would shoot her is just like, you know, this is, that, that in itself is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's criminal behavior. Um, again, it's this, this, this deep-seated uh, mistrust with the police, it goes back to that because in all, in all instances, it's just like, this is something that should have been rectified. Like, you know, a few days later, we should have had, you know, documents, we should have had, you know, an account 
of what happened. But this silence, this is what leads to the speculation. And I'm sure there have been people on both camps, you know, putting out, you know, alternative sides of what happened. But uh, I'm going to let you guys, you know, speak on on some of the more pertinent facts that I don't have. But I can speak to, you know, just the gist of this culture of, uh, you know, silence and stuff. I mean, the fact is, people were laughing when Meg said she first got shot. I was one of the people who I laughed at a couple of the memes, even though I thought it was serious. But like, we didn't take her pain seriously. And that's why black women had the highest mortality rate while giving birth and then any other like um, racial demographic in the country because no one takes their pain seriously. But what Tory Lanez did to Meg Thee Stallion, we should make sure that we understand that this is not just like a, a blip in the radar. Tory Lanez is, is reflecting the behavior and thought process of men all over the country, particularly right. black men in right. relationships, whether right. romantic or not, with black women who have not got a handle on their emotional stability and who cannot take criticism, cannot take rejection, and they lash out with violence and think that they are okay with it. What happened to Meg Thee Stallion is not that much different than what happened to that sister who got hit in the face with a skateboard because she rejected a guy's advances. It really isn't. And women are in danger all over the place because men don't know how to handle a no or a little bit of a rejection. Um, I want to read a couple of comments that came from Bianca because she said this is something that just isn't on like, you know, once in a while. She deals with it all the time. It happens everywhere. It happens in the workplace and she deals with it. Particularly, it shows up in mansplaining. Yes. That's someone who has male friends. I've had to cut off a couple of relationships because some people do not know how to act and do not see any wrong in what's going on. You know, Tia Mario on Facebook Live said, people do not understand, pardon me, people do not believe us. Look at Kiki Palmer. They didn't believe her about Trey Songs. You're right. We, I laughed. Well, I heard about the Trey Song story. I well, you know, Kiki Palmer was joking. I, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but you, you also have to understand that a lot of this stuff is, is deeply rooted, uh, you know, and just in straight up just sexism, you know? Yeah. So it's just yeah. like, that's, that's a lot of this stuff. So you're talking about like, even the, the, the if, if we're not believing millionaires that live their lives through social media and to the public, it's just like, you know, the black poor women in the projects, you know, be damned. You know what? That's why we got to keep black, uh, protect black women trending because to this day, Megan still isn't getting justice. Brianna isn't getting justice. And it's just going to keep going like that until we make it a known fact that we have to protect black women. Apparently, it is not obvious. Um, so just to keep things moving along, I'm gonna, I want to talk about another uh, hip hop topic because I know that somebody on our panel is excited about talking about this. Um, in other hip-hop news, on Friday, Nas released an album called King's Disease, which is already getting stellar reviews, especially from fans of old-school hip-hop. On the same day, Jay-Z and Pharrell Williams released the single Entrepreneur, which, you know, it's obviously going to chart. Um, as the resident hip-hop head of Be Heard, I'm going to throw this story to Stanley to explain why the release date is controversial and to give us his opinion on both works of art. So I'll start with Nas first. This is Nas' best project in maybe 10 years, at least. This is really good. And when I saw the track list, I wasn't excited because he has little Dirk, John Tolliver, Big Sean on there. And I'm like, why is Nas rapping with these people? He like He's trying to be down. But no, this is great. The Firm reunion, which most of the people in this chat are either too old or too cool to remember. The Firm, which was Nas, AZ, Foxy Brown, Carmega, amazing group. And they were talking about love and relationships in their songs, so that was great. Um, so Nas did really well. But there's a thing I've noticed about Nas album releases. There's been at least three releases from Nas where Jay-Z has put something out. 
And now the new talk is starting to be that Jay-Z likes to step on Nas's releases. So Nas had this album coming out. All of a sudden, Jay-Z announces a song called Entrepreneurship with Pharrell that comes out the same day. The last album Nas put out with Kanye West, he put it out on Friday. Jay-Z and Beyonce dropped Everything Is Love on Saturday. When, when Nas dropped Stillmatic in 2001, Jay-Z Jay -Z, um, put out the, um, the, I think it was either The Session or Blueprint 1.5. When Nas put out The N-Word, Jay-Z put out um, his best, like the best records. This has happened a couple of times. And sometimes Jay-Z has been able to step on Nas's releases like he did with the last album. This time it didn't, it didn't go so well. But I'm starting to think Jay-Z is still petty and beefing with Nas. Selena, do you think Jay-Z is still petty and beefing with Nas? Do you know, like, what started it? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm no, you know, hip-hop expert to that. And I can't speak to if they are still beefing. I would hope not. We all remember um, the granular ether um, track that came out where, you know, Jay-Z took some shots at Nas. And then Nas shot, shot back with ether and that song to me just like I, it, it, he just shut it down i mean i know jay-z he um responded again but nothing topped ether that was one of the best uh battles in hip-hop i think of all time and jay-z well stanley speaking from a brooklyn perspective i grew up in queens so you already know when ether came out we were in like high school like shouting it felt like when oj got off that's how much excitement there was in Queens when Ether dropped, okay? Yo. <laughs> I feel like um, a child getting a history lesson. I love it, it. It was so good. But to me, they squashed their beefs. They've moved on. They've worked together. They've been very friendly. Stanley has said maybe they're frenemies. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But I will say that I love both. Um, for Entrepreneur, um, yes, I do think that Pharrell and Jay-Z could have moved it back a few days so it didn't actually, you know, happen so soon and in conjunction with Nas's new album, but I absolutely love the song. It's stressing like black business and starting your own ventures. He calls out even black Twitter. He says, and I quote black Twitter, what's that? When Jack gets paid, do you? And basically what Jay-Z is calling into question is, you know, we, we claim that this is black and we claim like we are all for pro black, but if we don't have an economic state in some of these um, things that we're building, and giving momentum to, can we really claim it as our own? So I thought that was really thought-provoking. What, Stanley? He's a hypocrite. Well, uh, well, and, yeah. and, and well, <laughs> let, well, the question. Wait, 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 wait. All Without right, so, so y'all have Without your view. I'm, I'm curious, because Ed is a newcomer. He's a Without guest. Are you, team, are you team Nas or team Jay? Well, and I've, what I've, did you think I've, about both drops? I'll preface this by saying, like, I'm from Brooklyn, so oh I've got the title. Um, that, that's, not to say, that's not to say that Ether wasn't, you know, a fire track. That is not to discount that. Um, I will also say that I haven't, as of yet, I have not listened to Nas's album. I heard a little bit before I came on the air with you guys. Um, I did see um, Jay-Z's video. But as, as Stanley uh, points out, Jay-Z is an absolute hypocrite. He is uh, one of the great proponents of uh, black capitalism. And uh, this foolishness about starting from the bottom up and all this, that's exactly what it is. It, it's foolishness. It's like, look at the audience you're talking to. It's just like, this is, a, this is the same man that signed off on the, what is now, you know, the Barclays Center, which is unfortunate. Somehow it went from the crown jewel to now it's just like, you know, the eye of the uh, the protests. It's the heartland of the protests over the past uh, three months here. 
But yeah, Jay-Z signed off, you know, his signature sort of just like, you know, it, that, that's what brought it there. Ended uh, all types of eminent domain, just wiped out people's homes downtown Brooklyn. So he's absolutely a hypocrite. You talk about uh, entrepreneurship. Um, again, you know, from a symbolic standpoint, from a symbolic standpoint, it looks good. From a symbolic standpoint, yes, we want the youth to, to, to own businesses. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But uh, it's just like, you know, your practice should be, uh, you know, should be uh, reciprocated in, in your talk. I only got one thing to say about this. You know what? I'm not going to say it. I'm, I'm sorry, bro. Put a record. Jay-Z won that battle. But Jay-Z's a hypocrite talking about, does Twitter give you money? You signed a deal with the NFL that's blackballing yeah. a black man, but you could have bought yeah. your own league. Jay-Z's <laughs> a better rapper than Nas. I, 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 I saw the... Uh, I, I, I just want to address the comments. And yes, and this is, this is also what happens. This is exactly what happens. Jay-Z owns less than 1%. Exactly. But they use his face. They use his face to sell it to the public. Yeah. So, you know... This is what happened. So, yeah. Not to be disrespectful and interrupt, but Jay-Z's ploy is working because this conversation has become all about Jay-Z. I'm gonna throw it to Selena because I know you have different opinion and I wanna wrap it on that just to give Nas a chance. And I wanna let viewers know that they should check out both works and follow us at Be Heard oh, Talk and let us know what you think. I greatly appreciate Nas's catalog. I wouldn't, I don't, I think that both Jay-Z and Nas are one of the, the best five best rappers alive. And we can leave it right there. We can debate all day who's a better rapper, whatever. They are both lyrical geniuses. I think that Nas poured his heart and soul into this new album. It is it's a brilliant work of art. He's also tapping new artists, which shows that he's, you know, passing the torch. I think he actually is embarrassing some of the new artists that he raps with on some of the songs. But nonetheless, like the song that he did with Fabio and um, Spicy. And like, it's like a really New York anthem. And then after hearing him, I'm like, first of all, I have to Google what he was even talking about. And then Fabio was like, I could bag your beat in my white Nikes. I was like, oh man. And I love yeah. Fabio. You're talking about a top five rapper of all Exactly. No, exactly. So it just sounds like he's schooling them. He should, if, if, if Nas got on a track with a new it's, dude. It's to be expected. To Stanley's point, it's to be expected. And I'm just highlighting that that's exactly what he did. And again, it speaks to him being an elder statesman. It speaks to his legacy in rap. It speaks to him being a pioneer. It speaks to him carrying the borough of Queens and Queensbridge on his back. Like, we could go on and on about Nas and his genius. I'm happy for his body of work. Absolutely. If Jay-Z is being petty, then he needs to take a step back because I, I just feel like both of these artists are bigger than that. And, you know, Nas already shut him down with Ether. We don't want that whoa, to happen whoa, again. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> regardless of where you stand in this debate, and I guess um, even regardless of Jay-Z being petty or not, whatever y'all think, check out both works. They're both incredibly talented Absolutely. individuals. And I'm always looking for new hip hop, so come school me, y'all. Um, before we move on to the main segment, I want to get two more stories in for y'all just to prepare you for the week and what is going to be talked about the most. Uh, one is the post office controversy. Everybody is asking what is going on with the post office. Um, I got my information from Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, late show rendezvous with Stephen Colbert, uh, as well as CNN. Basically, the USPS has a new national postmaster named Louis DeJoy, who has been 
tearing out automation machines, cutting overtime, authorizing mail trucks to go out only at 30% full, and removing those iconic blue boxes that get our mail to where it needs to be. Um, a lot of people think the Trump administration is trying to disrupt the post office just as it is more critical than ever during a pandemic. Everyone is relying on mail for everyday necessities, but now with the election, um, people are crying fraud because a lot of people are going to opt in to using mail-in ballots and it will be pivotal, pivotal to our democracy to have a functional post office. Um, DeJoy got the job, interestingly enough, by fundraising for Donald Trump and making huge contributions. And he does have conflicts of interest. Uh, he has investments in the companies that compete with the post office, and he does business with the post office, which you're apparently not allowed to do if you work in the federal government. So a lot of people are calling on the inspector general and the board of governor for uh, the post office to do something. Basically, the House Democrats on Monday, um, or sorry, the House Democrats just voted this past week to block changes uh, that were just made and fund the post office for $25 billion. But it is not looking likely that it will pass the Senate and the White House has threatened to veto the bill. Uh, Louis DeJoy is set to testify on Monday before the House, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But Ed, as someone who is, you know, really outspoken about the system, what are they doing with the post office and why? <laughs> You know, this is um, this is one topic that I, I really wanted to talk about because this, this is just absolutely foolish. Uh, I like the optimism that you expressed about Monday will have some forthcoming options. It's going to be, uh, you guys watch tennis, it'll be, you know, they'll be volleying back and forth. Uh, but yeah, besides the fact that this guy, uh, Louis DeJoy, as you pointed out correctly, has a conflicted interest. He, you know, he owns... Uh, uh, huge millions of dollars in, in stock and in, uh, in the private couriers of USPS and uh, FedEx and like all these other third party ones. But in any case, um, going going back to th the issue is like this is where the, the post office issue started back, I guess, early as uh, 2006. So at the time, uh, Dennis Hassard, he is the Speaker of the House. And um, if anyone who's been following this who's older than me knows that the Republicans have been trying to privatize the Postal Service, you know, since forever. So essentially in 2006, they, uh, they, pass, they pass an act or a house bill stating that the Postal Service now has to fund uh, retirement benefits for uh, up to 10 years in advance. So again, so this, this goes from the post office to being a billion dollar, you know, working in billion dollars in the black to now being billions of dollars in the red, which is where it takes you to now, in 2011, as you remember, uh, they were removing post offices. Uh, they were shutting down post offices up until Congress stepped in and said that I think there has to be now a post office within six miles in every neighborhood. But in any case, this is again, this is, uh, this is uh, private. These are guys coming out of private industry, coming to Washington to take these jobs, as you correctly stated, for lobbying. This is how they got, this is how he got this job as a private lobbyist. He lobbies to Trump. Trump puts him on the board of a public, you know, a quasi, a quasi federal agency. Now, because the, the post office, uh, it begins in 1775 under Ben Franklin. Um, it has gone several facelifts since then. So while it's a federal agency, it doesn't operate under the same function. The money itself, the appropriations, doesn't come out of the, uh, uh, it's a different budget that it comes out of for the House. So this is why the House is able to separately, you know, appropriate $25 billion 
as you again correctly pointed out, which is probably going to be uh, vetoed by the president. But um, this is a uh, private. This is a uh, this is private industry looking over to take over a public asset. So this is why we are. This is here we are now. And again, the perfect storm is that it happens with an election. Um, again, if anybody, one of my uh, and I say this cynically, but one of the, my favorite races is 2018. You have Stacey Abrams against uh, uh, he Brian. Was, Brian Kemp. Yes, Brian Kemp. And uh, not only is this guy the Secretary of State at the time and in Georgia, and obviously the Secretary, the State Secretary of State oversees the, the ballots and all that, but he's on the, he's he's running for he's running for governor. So of course, thousands of Black people's uh, votes go missing. And uh, there was a reporter, Michael Harriet, at the uh, at the, the uh, at the uh, at the root. Yes, at the root. He uh, he was he was phenomenal. His his coverage back then, if you go back now and archive it, it's phenomenal. He talks about. Uh, black uh, oppressed votes and how votes, the voting machines, just all the flaws in it. So again, this is like the perfect storm. Let Here we are in quick, um, Ed, Because I think the piece that, like, you, you did a really good summary of the post office. The piece I want to point out is Trump said publicly, we want the post office to not be functioning properly to, so we can undermine voting mails. Tammy, like, is that not something Trump said? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to know from your opinion, Selena, do you like, I know it's a hot mess and I tend to be an optimist, but like how many things exactly are going to go wrong if we can't fix this situation? And like, are you optimistic at all for us coming to like a decent solution soon for mail-in ballots? No, because Trump continues to cheat right in front of our very eyes. He's open and unapologetic about this. I've said this in past shows, you cannot shame the shameless. He has called upon China to give opposition research into Joe Biden. He has confessed that he used, uh, you know, different governments to help win in so many words. And he basically said, like, I don't want, let, let's start to shut this down so that uh, there will be some type of chaos when it comes to people doing mail-in ballots. And this is happening during the coronavirus. So, you know, people don't want to jeopardize their lives by going to the polls. So we're encouraging more people to vote early and to submit their uh, their mail-in ballots. No, I and he, he basically said it. Like, I just, it baffles me each and every time this man steps up to a podium and he is declared the president of the United States. He, I, it, it's just, it's just, again, it speaks to the power of white supremacy and racism because because he's racist and because he speaks to that base, that is why he's in power and that is why he may even actually win by cheating and uh, in doing whatever he can um, so that he's not removed from office. And he's telling us that is what he's doing. Well, with the, well, with the fate of the post office and pretty much hanging by a string, um, I'm excited to wrap this news roundup so we can talk about how we are potentially going to get Trump out of office because, you know, the libs that are yelling about voting for Biden say this would never happen under a Democratic candidate. And I don't know. I can't wait for them to tell me how so and how not. Um, so thank y'all for joining me for the news roundup. Really appreciate y'all as always. Uh, please join us for the news roundup extended this Tuesday evening, where we'll continue to talk about the stories that have your interest peaked. And follow us at Be Heard Talk and interact with us if you want us to cover something of interest to you. Uh, thanks, y'all. Selena. Thank you so much, Tammy. So yeah, uh, the title of this main segment is why I left the Democratic Party. As I stated earlier, 
my friends here on the left have all left the Democratic Party if they were even part of it. So we here at Be Heard Talk, we have had these conversations both internally and we've had some public discussion about what it means to be progressive, leftist, and anti-establishment. Now, some of these conversations have led us to have debates about the two-party system and the upcoming presidential election, while others have triggered really thought-provoking conversations about the most effective way to affect real change in a country embedded in white supremacy, class warfare, and the exploitation of marginalized communities. Now, the facts of the matter is that the liberal rank of the Democratic Party, which is led by the likes of Bernie Sanders and now AOC, uh, has effectively pushed progressive policies like Medicare for all, free college tuition, racial justice, international discourse, and mainstream Democratic parties uh, and policies. So has the Democratic Party been moving further to the left? Absolutely. Uh, but we here today, we wanted to have a conversation about, even if it has been moved to the left, is this two-party system actually working? We also want to talk about the Democratic establishment and can it be taken down? And also, ultimately, what needs to be done to dismantle these systems of oppression? Now, what Tammy just alluded to is that parties, we are in an election year, meaning that no matter how much we want to fight for a revolution, it's not happening in the next 75 days, okay? It's either going to be Trump in office or it's going to be Biden. I am a, I, I love my radicals. I, I'm there for the protest. Y'all burn the cop cars. I'm over here protesting. Okay. That's how I look at it. I basically look at this that there is, everyone has a role in society. Okay. The re, yes, we need revolutionary thinkers and thinking, and I'm all for it. I'm also more of a, a, a practical person, if you will. A pra, um, I don't know how everyone to categorize me. I just know I want change. I just know I want black liberation. I just know I don't want this white supremacist in chief in office for another four years. And that's just me speaking. However, again, I'm with a panel, a panel full of political thinkers and, and revolutionaries. So I wanna just open this up, this, this discussion to first and foremost, we just had the DNC, right? Um, the Democratic Party for four days, they did this virtual event where they're pouring out their hearts, courting voters, uh, <laughs> some, 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 some progressives uh, and some centrists and some moderates. Let's start there because I want to know, is the Democratic Party even putting an effort to court the far left, right? And do you, what was your reaction? I'll start with you, Stanley, just to open this conversation. What was your reaction to the DNC? It was fine. Um, <laughs> Like, like, listen, like they, they weren't doing it for me. It wasn't for me. They were mostly speaking to like the middle part of America while trying, trying to do enough so that people on the left would feel appeased. Um, I think they did a good enough job. You know, it was nice. There was some cool moments. I'm always up for the Obama speech, Michelle O'Brock. I'm, I'm, I like Kamala's speech and I like Elizabeth Warren's speech and also her quiet nod to Black Lives Matter in the background. So it was okay. And you told me offline that you appreciated the DNC. You liked some of the speeches. However, you have not been swayed to actually vote for the Democratic Party. So, so tell us a little bit about your reaction to the DNC. Uh, you know, I thought um, let's let's start let's start with the good. You know, I thought that um, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, the speakers that they did have not not some of your mainstream politicians, but some of the kids like the kid that was stuttering, and some are just like these average 
yeah. people who are supposed to be, you know, not supposed to be, but who, who will be voting Democrat. Um, I thought that was very inspiring. I thought just from a fundamental standpoint, it's just like, you know, politics and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to dumb it down for this audience, but, you know, for some, at some level, they're supposed to be, you know, inspiring. So I think for, for some reason to see that, to see that there are people that, you know, are still involved and it's just like, it's still giving an entire new generation of people who care about these things. Uh, I thought that that was, you know, I thought that that was great. I thought that that was on brand. Now, you know, moving on for a little more grown up discussion, um, I thought some of this stuff was an absolute sham. It was just big money. And this is what money inside of politics, this is what it looks like. It brings you a uh, Bloomberg, it, it allows Bloomberg to speak instead of our, our dear sister Linda Salsour. It allows, you know, three or four other Republicans uh, to get up here and already talk about we're making deals with Biden because this is, uh, you know, Biden is, is the great deal maker. He's going to be the great centrist. Uh, so the Democrats have, have, have showed their hand. Uh, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. And uh, that uh, Julian Castro, the one, the one Hispanic presidential candidate that they had, he was nowhere to be found for four days. It's just like, this is ridiculous. But, you know, again, this is big money politics. And uh, this, this is what you get. So, you know. Thank you. Thank you for that. And um, I want to throw it over to you, Tammy, because you've been very vocal about being in indifferent and almost apathetic towards the Democratic establishment. Did you even watch the DNC? <laughs> no, I did not. Um, That's what I yeah, honestly, I didn't even like I didn't read or watch anything about it until this weekend because I knew that we were doing the show like I wouldn't have. I knew that it would be on the Internet like the highlights of the watch all moments for me this dnc especially because of how changed it was you know with limited time and all being done virtually um to me the dnc is more of a dog and pony show now because um and i'm gonna use bianca's question if you don't mind in my answer like bianca asks you know do conventions even hold any weight like is there really something like do these speeches sway a decision and the convention isn't just to sort of um nominate the presidential candidate it's also where they unify the party like all of the candidates are represented um, all of the different groups and people hear about issues as well as policy platforms and basically the convention will set the tone for the policy platform moving forward in the the head-to-head -head. so that's why you know someone like me still voted for bernie in the primary so that bernie could get more delegates so a more progressive platform would stand a chance at the convention um to me it didn't really matter to watch it because i don't really think those big decisions are even made at the convention anymore and stanley honestly correct me if i'm wrong i feel like a lot of it is backdoor dealing as it is with large politics and their minds are already made to a certain extent about most issues so to me it didn't i didn't feel like i had to watch it just to see a bunch of dramatic speech speeches about taking down the cheeto what i'm hearing from you tammy is that you don't trust the democratic party it's back deals it's hold on stanley because i want to just i want to skip to get to this point like let's just get to the gist of it you're not a Democrat. You don't trust the Democratic Party. You did vote for Bernie. I'm assuming if he was on the Democratic ticket, you would be probably not only voting, but canvassing for him at this point. Tammy, when and why did you leave the Democratic Party and why don't you trust it? 
So I wouldn't say I was ever an official member of the party. Okay. What I've done is voted on the Democratic ticket um, for like specific reasons, like to influence day-to-day -day political stuff in local New York elections or for reasons like getting Bernie delegates at the convention. Um, I, my age, I turned 18 right after the last Obama election. So I missed that by one month. And when I finally got like, you know, when I could vote in college, I started organizing, especially with radicals. And so I never really joined the Democratic Party. I always found that other parties more represented my organizing and political interests. But then I learned like, oh yeah, because of the system, like you're gonna have to vote Democrat for certain things. So what are you, which party are you affiliated with now, Tammy? I don't have an official one, but I really like the Green Party, especially this year, because it seems like they really adapt every year. And I know I'm going to get laughed at for this, but I like the balls of the PSL, the Party for Socialism and, and Liberation. Um, I think they're really out there and, and sexy. Thank you for that, Tammy. So Stanley, I want to throw it to you because in 2008, you... I, I don't want to out you, but you cried when Barack Obama won that election. And I was right there with you. And at that time, from my understanding, we spoke offline, you were a registered Democrat. We were all rallying around Barack Obama. We thought hope and change was going to come to this country. When and why did you change your party affiliation? And, 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 what, and, and tell us, like, what, what does that say about the Democratic Party? So, I mean, yeah, I did cry when Obama became president. I mean, that was a, I mean, if you were old enough to vote and like be there when Obama won, you understand why it's like I could have cried or why it was so big for so many people. You know, that really was a huge moment. So there's no shame in that at all. I changed my party affiliation in 2014. And I changed my party affiliation because like, it became very clear to me that like the two party system does not like, it's, it's not a long-term solution. And a lot of what's happening between Democrats and Republicans is theatric, like it's like wrestling. It's, you know, I saw a tweet last week when things were really hitting up at the post office and Congress people were tweeting, oh, this, the joy is gonna be real scared when he sees me at this hearing. And it's like, who can't, like, why are you, why are you on, on social media caping? What are you actually going to do to hold him accountable? So like, it's, it's just all a dog and pony show. And additionally, like my politics move further to the left. So I understand that like the two party system is what we have here, but I also want to do the organizing to help build a strong third party, which is why I registered for the Working Families Party, which is why I vote on the Working Families Party, and which is why I'm helping to build the Working Families Party. Billy, what is the Working Families Party briefly? And tell us what they believe in. So the Working Families Party is a party that was started by um, advocacy activist organizations and labor unions. And originally the goal was to push New York Democrats to the left because New York Democrats were pretty much centrist or Republicans in some cases. The Working Families Party has evolved now into a third party whose goal is to center issues that take care of black and brown people first and focuses on racial, economic, environmental, and economic justice, but I didn't say that before. And they have chapters in 19 different states, including the New York State, where we show up on the ballot. Thank you for that. Now, Ed, I know you as well, not a registered Democrat, of course. I know you're affiliated with the Green Party. Have you ever been registered with a Democrat or did something um, shoot for you? Go ahead. So, so the, a, a technicality that, uh, that uh, Tammy brought up. So yes, because in New York, to be on the primaries, you have to, you cannot be 
by independence, like you have to be. So it's just like, at times, like because of my, some of my, you know, when it's time to vote for your favorite judges or your councilman and things like that, you have to, you have to, you have to play the game. But when it comes to no national, national at large politics, absolutely not. Um, and, but my, my breakaway came uh, 2004, 2000, I'm sorry, 2008, because 2004 was probably the first one I was allowed to do. So 2008 was, you know, I, I officially was like independent by then. So that was, uh, you know, my first vote. Cause again, you know, they always give you this, this. Why did you, why did you break away from the party in 2008? Um, again, uh, just to, to mimic sort of what Stanley was saying, it took about theatrics. Um, I saw it as, as a, uh, as a one party system masquerading as a duopoly. And I was just like, this is foolishness. It was just like, again, at the end of the day, these guys are, are buddy buddies. They're going to make the best deals that, you know, that they're, they're, they're self-interest you know i saw too much self-interest i saw too much big money and politics uh the uh independent organizing like stanley like myself was doing it's just like you saw how big money can influence these things and it's just like it doesn't get down to the average you know the working class so it's just like this is foolishness it's like i refuse to you know cast a vote for you know to sustain this madness so well and, and so thank you guys for all just giving that that, that brief, those brief um descriptions but so Stanley, I'll throw this one at you because I understand why it's important to have a third third parties. And I understand that people just don't align with one of the two major parties. But overall speaking, overall speaking, can if you are voting and if we have more people voting for in, in a third party, does that prove to help Republicans? Because it seems like it's and I don't know, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the the people who are breaking away, a lot of people who are breaking away aren't, you know, maybe have at one point been affiliated as a Democrat, but don't feel like the party has moved far enough left to match the policies. So that's why they're joining third parties. Well, in New York, no, because New York has fusion voting. So in a general election, you can vote for a Democratic candidate on a Democratic line and a Working Families Party line if they've been endorsed by the Working Families Party. So that's one cool thing that New York State has that I like a lot even though certain people have been trying to get rid of it because it makes it easier for the working families parties to push a Democrat to the left and then that candidate run with WFP. Across the country, that's not the case. So a third party, unless it has a certain critical mass of supporters, you will pretty much just undercut an election. A great example of that was George Bush, Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. Ross Perot was running to the right of George Bush. He pulled 24% of the vote. Those are votes that George Bush didn't get. And that, that was a big part of why Bill Clinton was able to win that election. There's no third party currently strong enough right now to win an election on its own accord. So what we probably need to shift to is a parliamentary system, but we we're not there yet. And we're probably not gonna be there for a long time, if, even if we ever get there. So at the moment, it's really important for third parties to build up their power independently so that you then can eventually run somebody. The Working Families Party right now is probably the one that's like the most effective and closest to getting there. And they are a long ways away from being able to have that kind of power. Thank you. So, you know, Tammy, that being said, do you ever feel, you know, or think about, hey, you know, by me being, you know, voting third party and advocating for that um, broader, like in the broader spectrum of things, this could help Donald Trump win in some way like do you ever like feel like that or think that about third parties that you know it could be taking away votes from the democratic party and basically the chances to get trump out the white house 
So I feel like this is a really unpopular opinion and I'm very much ready to get flamed. I did my makeup cute today, so I can't wait for the comments on these clips roasting me. Um, but I don't care um, if, it, if it helps Donald Trump to win. Like, in my opinion, it is going to be a really hard long-term undertaking to get third parties to where they need to be for people to take it seriously to shift the government. And I feel like the Democrats basically ride on this fear of like, you know, right-wing takeover to keep people like, you know, three of us on this panel who are not really in line with Democratic Party politics um, to keep us voting for them. And I feel like someone said this to me the other day and it was the perfect way to put it. If we are always spending our energy, us progressives are always spending our energy putting out fires, right? Putting out Democratic Party fires and putting on band-aids to issues, we are never gonna have the time and bandwidth to really organize to make effective long-term change. I think that by voting third party, I am effectively sending a message saying, hey, Democrats, wake up. You are not reaching me. You are not being radical enough. You are so similar to the side of things that you are trying to defeat that you are actively pushing people away. Um, and so I hope that that's how, you know, people at the top of the party see it. Now I acknowledge that they may not because they are comfortable in the two party system and I am the minority, but um, I think it's my right to be in that minority and to sort of make these long-term shifts because I think it works. Ed, are you also comfortable and okay with four more years of Trump, as Tammy has stated? No, absolutely not. I, I don't think Tammy is saying that she's okay with four more years of Trump either. She I think said that. Is that I, what you, I, she said that. I think okay, she, Tammy, can you clarify? Is, is oh, that what you did? I thought, I are thought you, she Oh, said, okay. You're apath are you saying you're okay or are you saying you're apathetic towards four more years of Trump? Just to clarify. It sounds bad. I think more apathetic. Okay. I'm not, I'm not okay with it, but, but you're apathetic. You know, it's okay. That's the system that we're in. So, like okay. it is likely that he will get it again if he already got the presidency. Ed, where do you stand? No, I'm I'm not I'm not okay with Trump or anything that he represents being anywhere close to the White House. However, with that being said, I will also say historically, voting for the third party has not taken away any votes from someone who was not going to win. The election so there's that um but no absolutely not we we have to do everything we possibly can to remove uh remove trump at this at this point in time if nothing else for you know to, to save you know domestic you know the just the, the domestic issues that uh america has to go because regardless whether it's uh jim crow joe or biden i mean or uh or trump and and 2020 is just like american empire is going to continue neither one of them want to see the end of this Neither one of them want to see, uh, you know, America share, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, whatever uh, this American dream is with the rest of the world. They want to keep, uh, you know, pumping the drums of imperialism and global capitalism. So this is ultimately, okay. And, 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 and it's all good. I, I haven't seen, I have not seen, uh, I haven't seen any financial plan that, uh, that, that Biden has laid out that is going to be any more wealth distribution than uh, that Trump has laid out. We're going to go to Stan. Hold on, Stanley. Let me just clarify with uh, Ed with something. Ed, so you said that you're not okay with seeing Donald Trump reelected. Oh. 
would but would you go as far as voting for Biden to help prevent that? Yes or um, no? No, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cast my vote to do that. I think that again. Okay. I, so you I, don't want Trump, but you're not voting for Biden. You know the, the the thing is because I live in because I live in New York, they're 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 gonna do the right thing, you know. It's like you're trusting on the state. It's a blue state. Okay, Stanley, I want to get you back in here. You had a response to Ed. Yeah, I, th I think Ed is incorrect. One side wants to maintain the establishment and the status quo. The other side wants an ethno-fascist state. It's two very different things. The Democratic uh, Party wants to maintain the status quo of, like, capitalism and doing the bare minimum for poor people. The Trump administration wants a fascist government. That only helps a handful of people. Neither one is great. Hold so, on, Ed. Hold on, Ed. Uh, Stanley, continue. We'll get to you, Ed. Go ahead, yeah. Stanley. One side, there's some space to organize under. Another side, you better be prepared for war. And I have very little confidence that anyone on this panel, or even anyone watching right now, is prepared to do what it takes to go for revolution. Because it's not just impacting you, it's impacting all the other people. Do I think that the Democratic Party will ever move to the level that like, I am comfortable with? No, absolutely not. But I'm also, I don't, I'm not under the impression that traditional politics will, alone will help us get to the revolution. It is just a tool for organizing. And multiple other pieces and multiple other places have to be moving while we're doing those things. So yes, I will be voting for Biden. And I will be voting for Kamala because I understand that like I can organize and shift things a lot easier and a lot more effectively under a Kamala Biden administration than I can under a Trump administration. So that's where I am. Um, Ed, I want to give you a chance to respond since Stanley called you out directly, and then we'll get Tammy back. Oh in. yeah, I, I I just I just don't see a material difference. Uh, I I feel you may prefer their method to get to the means, but you, you know some Republicans some some Republicans prefer that What's method COVID? to means. You said what? What's what the COVID response is that not a, a material difference? No, I mean, of course, there's there's of course there's going to be there's going to be responses how people respond differently. But I'm talking about. The, the end the end game itself is they they're trying to pri both both of these guys are going to keep power for themselves they have my thing is like there has no interest in either one of them to to lift you know uh, uh, to have a, a real conversation whether it's about uh, universal health care whether it, it's about uh, uh, a wage a wage increase to a, to a, a living Joe Biden wage. committed to raising the minimum wage of fifteen dollars an they hour. They committed to nothing. That's a that, you, you consider and you consider that a living wage. You can that's that's pennies. No, I don't. Thousand dollars a year. He, he, he did that. But Bernie Sanders didn't commit to raising it any higher than that's that. My, that's my point. That's exactly my point. That is exactly my. Not, not, neither party is committed to this. Neither the Democratic Party nor the Republican Party is committed to that. Not, none of them are. Get oh, them out oh, of here. So let me do some clarification here. So yeah. one party, ethno-fascist, white supremacist government, where no one has a say, keep the minimum wage at $7 an hour, cut off health care, let a, 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 like a, a pandemic spread out across the country, cut off Horrible. public mail-in goods, yeah. like give all money to the super rich. Other party, trickle-down economics. You can organize to shift people. Because Biden didn't support the public option. Biden didn't support student loan forgiveness. Democratic Party did not support any of these pieces that we're pushing for, but we're organized into it. I want to I wanna jump in because... Quick, Tammy. Let me explain the plan. You can jump in. So one side has proven that they can be moved, not as far as we want them to be moved. The other side has proven that they will crush any opposition. Have, have they proven that they can be moved if they okay. haven't Okay, No, no, no. I want to jump in. I want to jump in because this is the same tired back and forth that always happens. 
So first, I want to address what Stanley said earlier about how, you know, none of us are really ready for a revolution. And so we need to, like, get change through, like, voting in and organizing. Um, a lot of people are actually ready for the are revolution. You? And I, I mean, look at me. I look like a cute little e-girl in my little Brooklyn apartment. Maybe, no, I'm not ready for the revolution because I haven't had adequate gun training and I don't have supplies and I don't know how to do things like that. However, there is already a revolution in the streets happening for people who are below the poverty line, for sex workers getting drugged and raped every time they go on the job, for people being locked up in camps. For some people, they are ready for the revolution and that is pertinent to me. And cannot be dismissed. The second thing is, you're basically saying that one party can be organized and another party can't. The problem is, how organized can they get? Because basically what they give us are crumbs and concessions that are no longer adequate. The Democratic Party has shown that it is refusing to change. Refusing to change. They are committed to preserving yes, white they, America. Stanley is right. Let Stanley finish. Stanley is correct. Joe Biden did actually put 15 an hour on his platform. What is totally. that? What is that? But, uh, let me finish, please, because I can't stand a man interrupting me. Um, he did put that on his platform. However, what was the number one topic of the primaries that everyone was talking about? Medicare for all. What did we just get slapped with? A global pandemic. And still, the Democratic Party has not promised us Medicare for all. If there was one concession to be made to the progressives in order to court us, it would be Medicare for all. Instead, Joe Biden has promised to expand the ACA, whatever that means, as well as lower generic drug costs, which, mind you, still keeps interest in private pharmaceutical companies. So basically, you're asking progressives to wait until their great, 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 great grandkids might get free college, as opposed to just saying, bump this, we're not gonna vote for you, let's see what happens, and when it goes down, let's see where the chips really fall. I am I'm personally more in favor of us taking a huge risk as a country and seeing what can come from supporting third-party platforms that advocate for Native rights, that advocate oh. for defunding the military, and that wholeheartedly support Medicare for all. Um, Tammy, what what I what it sounds like you're saying is that you don't like the incremental, gradual change that is happening within the Democratic Party. The, the change is happening, and it's definitely moving more to the left. That's undeniable. That's a fact. As Bernie's policies were considered radical four years ago, let's not forget that. So it's happening. It's happening incrementally. However, and you said you don't want to wait for your great 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 grandkids to actually see changes. Do you not think doing the third party route would take the same amount of time? Okay. Like, well, so yes, yes, for sure. But it would more drastically impact politics. And for okay, you're part, saying it'd be I more drastic. Think, okay, I, I want to get Stanley's response on that. Thank you for clarifying that point, Tammy. Oh, go ahead, Stanley. I think the piece that both of you are missing, and I've had to learn the hard way multiple times, is you do not have the full, you don't have the full country support. There's still enough pushback from enough people that you don't have it, Tammy. The third, a, a third party candidate could not win a general election right now. And that's the piece that you keep missing. And not just you, but adding other folks. You could not, you do not have the public support. Cause I agree with you. Medicare for all should have been the number one platform for Joe Biden. But the fact of the matter is there's still enough pushback from enough American voting people 
that you can't get it. It's the same reason why Obamacare passed and it wasn't even a quarter as progressive as Medicare for all and people were still upset about it. And the final piece that the both of you are missing is organizing, real organizing that we have to do is not just electoral and policy. This is one piece of the puzzle. And I'm saying by having Biden in office with a Democratic Party that is moving, not as fast as I want to, but is moving, is a lot easier to organize under, especially if I understand that this is not the only place we're building power in, it's easier to do that than it would be under Trump, who is literally destroying everything. And yeah, Tammy, like, as you mentioned, like you're an e-girl, like you're, like you're not ready in this moment. That's cool, I'm not ready for a revolution either. But when you make choices like this, you enroll other people to now then have to be ready for a revolution. Because when a revolution comes, it doesn't matter whether you're ready, whether you're ready or not, and it's not cute and it's not fun and people will die and people will lose a lot and you still might not live to see what you want because the most prepared side will win. And guess who's the most prepared side right now? The fascist. And I wanna get your voice back in here. There's a lot of thoughts going on, but I am circulating right now in the conversation, but uh, uh, what are your thoughts about everything that's been talked about? Oh, okay, I'm more from you, okay. I would say this, the reason why that you're not going to have this third party that we all want to, because both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are committed to ensuring that it does not happen. They are committed to themselves, again, to make sure that their party survives. The two of them together will, again, suppress any sort of third party to, you know, to keep up, you know, this foolishness that's happening. That's why you won't have it. Again, you talk about, are we ready for a revolution? They're close to 20 million people that are going to be deemed homeless. Uh, you have the revolution right there. It's just like people are organizing, people are, you know, re-educating themselves and are, are going through a, a political re-education. And the people are there. That's always going to be a case. It's just like, do you what, what do you do with the movement and the energy that takes from the streets, and how do you turn that into legislation? That that has been going on for centuries. So it's just like they're all part of it, but. The main thing is just like is to move away from both the Democratic and Republican Party if you want to see any actual changes because big money influences both of them and both of them are catering to the rich. This is why they're elected every four years. Look at the foolishness that just happened out in out in Kentucky. Chuck Schumer, his buddy uh, McConnell, is in a is in a tight race with a young African American male, and the Democrats decide that they're gonna you know defund this man's thing so that McConnell can stay in office. So this is the charades that happen the money that they pulled. They, the Democrats pulled money from his case because of Schumer. Schumer asked them to they do it. They never gave him money, actually. He was never Schumer, gonna Schumer pulled it. Schumer oh. pulled it. No, no, Ed, Ed, actually, he was, he, he was not, there was a, there's another woman running. Democrats invested in him, and Democrats said up front, anybody that, that runs against a, um, a Democratic pick is not getting supported. He was never getting Democratic support. Yeah, because, because again, the long game is that Schu uh, uh, McConnell is their guy. Like, you know. They like volleying. This is across no, the aisle. These are they, the they, like, huh? they wanted their person in there. And to your point, she's a bad candidate and she's going to lose to McConnell. But like And, and again, he had, he had he was up eighteen he was up eighteen percent in the polls. But he lost the primary. Like he lost right. the primary of Democratic voters. And that's the point that I keep bringing back here. Like you guys saying you want these policies and you're ignoring the fact that we live in New York where as someone who has run campaigns, worked on campaigns and helped people find Right, like and so you see, office, you see the big money. We can't, even, we can't even get Democratic voters in some parts of New York State. 
and in the U.S., everyone is not as aligned as you think. You have to do the organizing work to decolonize minds. You're not there yet. Correct. And again, big money plays a part into this. No, partisan, like long-standing ideas about capitalism working and socialism being bad, racism, all those things. Big money plays a role into it. When it plays the biggest role in it. You can't, you can't be a presidential dead, candidate without raising $100 dead. million. Dollars. You're talking about actual voters. A lot of these voters are not with us yet. You need to do more organizing. I'm not, I'm not in disagreement with you. I'm not in disagreement with you there. Okay, okay. so we're going to, we are going to have to unfortunately try to wrap this conversation. Again, guys, if you aren't the one called on, please mute or you will be muted. Uh, I just wanted to just state that. Uh, so uh, we, we talked a lot about this and just to sort of bring this conversation home uh, and read some type of alignment if we can. Um, Tammy, you know, is there a way for us to support third parties and what they represent, which I do, like I'm aligned with all of the ideologies and policies that, you know, the Green Party and the Working Families Party is pushing, but for pragmatists like myself who are affected by Trump getting reelected and not apathetic, or, and if I'm not, I know people who directly are the most marginalized. Some of us don't have the privilege to see Trump reelected and not be directly affected. What would you say? Is there any way we can bring these two schools of thought together uh, in the in the in the interim in, in as of right now and then move towards a, a larger drastic overhaul which i support and think that we need yeah actually you know i do think it's possible and on this show i'm really like i'm optimist tammy today because uh, molly asked how can we both create a progressive left Dem party and create a more solidified multi-party system, which is essentially what you're asking. And I think the way that we do this is by exactly what we're doing today. I know it's tedious and frustrating for like those of us who really feel strongly about our sides, but it is happening. Again, there are radicals like Stanley who are still stepping up to the plate and voting for Biden begrudgingly. And there are radicals like you know, the three of us who are still educating people on the differences between the parties and how to actually make it happen long term. So what I really think needs to happen is that people need to have this conversation in their homes. We need to stop treating politics as like this flashy media led dog and pony show and start talking policy platforms. Um, if we talk about what the different parties truly represent and what they want, people can get a better sense of sort of what their interests are and what that means to them. Then they get the conversations going, go out, do a little organizing, and those parties are better heard. Then those well-educated individuals can make an informed choice, like all four of us have, uh, whether to support the Democratic Party and try to veer it to the left, which many people do and have done successfully, or whether they want to spend their time amplifying third parties, which is also okay. I think both options are great, and I feel really hopeful that um, in maybe 50 years, <laughs> we might have some sparkling third and fourth parties to present to American voters. Thank you, Tammy. And I actually appreciate your optimism as well. And, you know, in Tammy's world, we can have that duality where, you know, you think there's a role for everyone here. Um, Ed, I want to get your final thoughts uh, about the conversation at large. And again, what needs, I mean, again, what needs to be done to protect our communities, the most marginalized. Because the fact of the matter is, if we get another four years with Trump in office, it's people that look like us who are going to be hurt the most severely. So how what needs to be done on that front? 
And then when it comes to, you know, a broader conversation about pushing this country further to the left. Um, I think the immediate answer is you, you have to remove Trump out of office. Like, that's just mm -hmm. it. Like, he has to go. It's just like, by, by any means, like, get him out of here. So that's first. Um, again, now, we don't have enough time to address how do we secure our communities because once we, again, once we get this, and, and this is hypothetically speaking, once we get Joe Biden in office, now we're holding him to the promises that he made to our community. And so I think if you go historically based on that, then obviously you know what we're looking at. So um, that, again, we need to be advocating, what, again, these choices that we have, once we get the lesser of two evils, we need to, again, boots on the ground, start advocating for a legitimate third party, you know, politics that include indigenous and, you know, and, every, and obviously the 27 other marginalized groups that are always forgotten about, so. Thank you, Ed. And, and Stanley, you know, just to wrap this conversation, Where's the disconnect? Because I think that the majority, like us here on the panel, we're aligned on so many fronts, but there seems to be a, a disconnect here about the most effective way to create change. What is that disconnect? And what is it that needs to be done so that we can unify on the left? Because I tell you what, Republicans get in line, whoever their candidate is, if they are conservative on the right, they get in line, they vote, and we see them making changes. I mean, even with the Tea Party, how effective were they? They got Tea Party candidates elected and effectively moved the Republicans further to the right. So I'm trying to say, you know, what is it that we should and could be doing because we want change? Organizing. I think this is, this is just a reminder that more organizing has to be done. So one, the Democratic Party is moving further to the left. Not as far as we want them to, not as fast as we want them to. And they never will do either one of those things in the way that we want them to. So it's an understanding that they are never going to do that. But like, while you were here, you need to be pushing them. And if you really want to be building a third party, which I think we should, it has to start locally. The reason I respect and I'm a member of the Working Families Party is because unlike the Green Party, which like, we, we need to have a deeper conversation about the Green Party. So like this, like, I don't want to be dismissive, but like the Working Families Party doesn't just show up in a presidential election. The Working Families Party identifies people to run, trains them, runs them, builds a relationship. They fight all over the state, even in places they don't have candidates, to make sure that other people, conservatives, Republicans, can't run on their party line. Whereas the Green Party will have a Republican running on their line because either they're not engaged enough or they just look the other way. So the Working Families Party is building real political power. Now, the Working Families Party might not be what folks want. That's cool. Democratic Socialists of America Democratic Socialists, that used to be a political party, and there's no reason it can't be, but it takes long-term organizing and building. And my main point is, if you think that a Working Families Party or a Democratic Socialist Party could exist under a Trump administration, or that anybody will have even the minimum resources necessary so that they have the space to do the work to fight for this, you are, you are sorely confused. This administration is going to shut down any opportunity to build power to fight against them. So all I'm fighting for is a space to organize another day. And if Biden and Kamala win, they're not my friends, they're my targets. Because I understand that like the goal is to take power from the establishment and to take money from the billionaires and trillionaires. And they, Biden and Harris, are not in support of that. So I'm just using them to make my process to organize a little bit easier. Thank you so much, uh, Stanley, for that and for all of those on the panel. And I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, it is, it's a long fight 
I think that it starts with us being committed for the long haul. I think that, you know, it, it, it's about unity, it's about education, it's about organizing our communities, but it's also about that commitment. And like, yes, we are in a presidential year and everyone is all into politics and elections and we're marching in the streets, but what happens when, you know, the world opens up again and somebody's already in office and we go another four years? To me, that's when I say, let's continue to stay educated and informed and make sure that we are empowering our communities with those resources to hold those in office accountable. I don't like the current system. No one does because it doesn't benefit us, right? It wasn't built for us. And, but I do think that with those nuggets and you know what my panelists just said, if we were to really take this to heart and move forward, then we could see some real effective change. On that note, I do want to thank everyone for chiming in. We had a very spirited conversation. There was so much more that could have been said. We just don't have the time. So we will continue to have these type of conversations here on Be Heard Talk. And if you like what you hear and you understand the gravity of, of what we are producing, please support us with your dollars. We live in a capitalistic society and without funding, we cannot support the causes and issues that you support. So you can do that by going to be her talk slash um, patreon.com slash be her talk or gofundme.com slash be her talk. Please support us there. Ed, thank you so much. We appreciate your, your you theories. Yeah. Your, we appreciate your passion. We appreciate your, your brilliance as well. Thank you so much. Guys. I appreciate you guys. This was good. You guys are doing brilliant work and uh, you know, I'm a supporter of the show. So, uh, you know, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep tuning in. You guys keep, you know, fighting the good fight. Thanks. We will. On that note, we'll see you again next Sunday, guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. -bye.